Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Dementor's Kiss. Today we will be discussing how Sirius raises the emotional stakes with Harry, the significance of Pettigrew's escape, and how Harry narrowly escaped death at the hands of the Dementors. So the chapter begins with the whole crew, as we said, some um, walking on their own and some not, are walking out of the Shrieking Shack and out of the Whomping Willow. So on this journey, um, Sirius and Harry have a conversation that's very important, where Sirius ends up inviting Harry to come live with him, and Harry accepts. And this is a really big turning point for Harry because he finally feels like he has a father figure that wants him around, unlike the Dursleys who very clearly don't want him around. Um, So they get onto the grounds and then um, the full moon comes out from behind the clouds and Lupin begins to transform into a werewolf. So chaos ensues. Um, Sirius tells Harry and Hermione to run away and then Ron is still tied to Pettigrew and Lupin, and so Sirius says he'll handle it. Um, Lupin ends up escaping to the woods, and Pettigrew at the same time transforms back into his rat form and escapes. So then Harry and Hermione start to think about maybe taking Ron and Snape up to the castle, um, but then they hear Sirius in trouble, and so they rush to his aid only to find that he's surrounded by over a hundred Dementors. Harry tries as hard as he can, using his training from Lupin to cast a Patronus. He tells Hermione to think of something happy. Um, She quickly faints and can't handle it, and Harry is trying as hard as he can while thinking of his happy thing, which is that he's going to live with Sirius. So Harry is trying in vain to summon a real Patronus to fight off the Dementors, and one of them eventually gets tired of the charade and lowers its hood so that Harry sees what's underneath it, and then it raises his head uh, to perform the Dementor's kiss. So just as Harry is about to die, a silvery light surrounds all of them, um, which he realizes coming from a what he believes is a Patronus because he sees an animal form inside of it, and he sees the animal, once the Dementors disperse, go to somebody across the lake who looks very familiar, but he thinks that it can't be true. And he's very vague, and the reader doesn't know what we're talking about, but then suddenly Harry faints, and the chapter ends. So first I want to talk about um, this really important conversation between Sirius and Harry at the beginning of the chapter. It's one of my favorite moments in the whole book, and Mm -hmm. I know I keep saying that, but these (laughs) these few chapters here, like starting with Cat, Rat, and Dog uh, through Hermione's Secret, are some of my favorite chapters in the series. Me too. And, and this is definitely one of them. And and I love this scene because, um, you know, growing up with Harry, we get to know him so well. And his one kind of wish above all else, and we saw it in the Mirror of Erised in the first year, is to have, like, parental figures that right. genuinely care about him and want what's best for him. And he kind of gets that with Hagrid and to some extent with, like, Dumbledore and like the Weasleys a little bit, Mm -hmm. but none of them are like real parents. They're sort of parent surrogates. So when Sirius says, you know, like your parents made me your godfather and I have a house. And if you wanted to come and live with me, 
Harry almost can't believe it. Like, as this conversation is going on, he's like, okay, don't get your hopes up. Like, he's not going to ask you what you think he's going to ask you. Um, And then he actually does. Right. He asks Harry, like, do you want to move in with me once this is all over and my name's cleared? And Harry can't believe it. And they're clearly both so happy after this happens because Sirius, you know, has probably never really imagined that he would live, let alone, like, have a life where he's out of Azkaban and um, has family. And now he basically finds Harry, who is his family, and is thinking, probably imagining a little bit of a future with him. Yeah. And if you, so mm-hmm. it's just really, um, it's a really amazing moment. And it's also a really tragic moment because it never happens, at least in the way that they're imagining, which is, you know, Harry gets to go stay with Sirius in the summers instead of the Dursleys. And the two of them live together for you know an extended period of time yeah and 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 sort of get to be a family they get to live together in the fifth book um before harry's fifth year but it's not really like a family because the whole order of the phoenix is there right and they don't even spend a ton of time together then because and sirius is also in a really bad mood for a lot of reasons right but um yeah i mean it is it is really tragic but i think what's really cool about the writing of this chapter is that at the end of last chapter and the beginning of this one, we kind of feel like the story is over. It's gotten to a really good mm-hmm. resolution point where the heroes have won and the mystery of the whole book is resolved. Um, so we feel like now we're going to be going into the falling action and then the conclusion of the book. Because there's already been enough drama. I mean, there hasn't been, I guess if we compare this to the past two books, there hasn't been as much, you know, kind of death-like danger. But I think that... You know, there's been enough threat of that, especially with the scenes when you think that a Sirius and Lupin and people are going to do some killing. And so it, you're right. Like, it does seem like this could be the end. Yeah. And so when this conversation happens, it's kind of like, oh, the reader's going to get a really nice, happy ending for all these characters. And then, like, everything's going to be fine. And that's mm-hmm. really how it feels. But then on a dime, everything changes when the moon comes out and Lupin transforms. Yeah. It's like everything that they had resolved in the last chapter is now an open question and completely chaotic. Right. Um, Pettigrew escapes, so Sirius can't prove his innocence. Lupin's transformed and is now like running into the forest, possibly like going to go on a rampage and start hurting people because mm-hmm. he can't control himself. Ron um, gets knocked out by Pettigrew, and so does Crookshanks. Um and Harry and Hermione now have to figure out what to do, who to save. Um, and they eventually decide that Sirius, who's now making whimpering noises, is in more grave danger than Ron. Right. Um, and so they, they go to him. But now it's like in this one page of text, basically, everything goes from completely resolved to completely unresolved. It does. And I mean, I think that in terms of the Harry and Sirius thing, even though it makes more logical sense that you know, okay, so Ron and, and Snape are basically incapacitated. Like, probably they're going to be fine until they can wake up, basically. Yeah, that's, um, that's Harry's idea, kind of. That's but. the theory. But I think that either way, um, it is kind of interesting that how much this conversation at the beginning of the chapter and how Harry has come to get to know Sirius since the past few chapters really means that Harry's loyalty is now completely towards Sirius and towards their future. And that is his goal in this chapter is to save his family, basically. Yeah. And we mentioned that like this raises the stakes of the book because, you know, one chapter ago it was, oh, I don't want you guys to kill 
Pettigrew because my dad wouldn't have wanted you guys to become killers. It's kind of more about his father's legacy, which is Mm -hmm. this vague nebulous concept that we talked about. Um, Now it's not that at all. It's not saving the life of an innocent man for the sake of it. It's I want to protect the future that I've now envisioned and hoped for for myself where I get to have a family. Right. Um, And so now it's like way more emotionally involved for Harry so that's that's what makes this chapter so compelling and the following chapter so compelling is this rescuing Sirius isn't just about justice now it's about personal stakes yes and so for those reasons you know along with kind of the logical reasons in the moment Harry and Hermione go to try to help Sirius but you know as we've talked about um in the past is that you know this is the heroes being placed into a situation where they're in complete danger, but they are now basically going to fail catastrophically. So they're already, it already seems bad that there's hundreds of dement or at least a hundred dementors surrounding them. And Harry is doing his best to cast Patronus, but he's never really successfully cast a full one. Um, and at least not with dementors around, right? Not with dementors around. And so now, you know, he he's failing. He's failing very quickly. Things have, again, quickly gotten out of control. Yeah, and compare this to the the low point of um, the first or second books. So in the first book, the low point is, I guess, Harry's confrontation with Quirrell, where he totally feels like there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. He's just going to get it. Um, but then he realizes that he can just put his hands all over Quirrell, and, and that will destroy him, essentially. Um, In the second book, it's when uh, he's about to face the basilisk and he doesn't know how he's going to possibly be able to kill something that can kill him just by looking him in the eyes. Um, But then in those books, the thing that quickly turns it around is like very fast. So in the first book, it's the realizing that he can touch Quirrell and that will hurt him. In the second book, it's Fox, the phoenix, Mm -hmm. arrives and gouges out the basilisk eyes, which gives Harry a fighting chance. So in this book, kind of the opposite happens almost, where everything feels resolved, feels ended, um, but then things go from hopeful to hopeless. Mm-hmm. And and you can see why people think of this book as like the turning point where things start to get really dark yeah. in the series, because we've gone from it being a classical hero's journey, like good guys are always going to win, Harry can overcome any obstacle kind of thing, where now he has a very clear weakness in the form of Dementors right. that he just can't seem to overcome. Right. And then he loses everything this chapter, basically. He does. He really does. And, you know, also comparing to the last two books, I think it's interesting that at this moment, and again, things are very accelerated in this book, in this chapter, but um, it's again, you know, like the first book, Ron is knocked out, which happens in the the chess game. Mm -hmm. And then... Hermione and Harry have to go on together and try to figure things out, which they are doing, again, very briefly in this moment because Mm -hmm. there's not much time. But it is like Harry and Hermione are like, we have to leave Ron and go forward. And then, um, like the first book, you know, Hermione sort of has more control and she's able to say, like, you know, you go forward and you drink the potion. At this moment, she is incapacitated by Dementors eventually, and Harry is left alone. Yeah, and she kind of feels helpless in this situation, because she right. doesn't even know... Like, Harry has at least tried to learn a, a counterspell against Dementors. And she hasn't. And she hasn't at all. So she's in a situation where she has absolutely no ability. And, uh, you know, I will talk more, obviously, about Hermione next chapter, but I think we've really been following Hermione 
intently in this book and her mm-hmm. emotional journey through all this. And at this point, you know, she has held on even throughout this crazy climax of figuring this out where she's, you know, tried to be logical and she's tried to get through this stuff and figure out what's right. And now her, you know, I would imagine that she's affected by the mentors maybe even more than she would have been because we know that she's just so physically, mentally, emotionally weak from this whole year in general. Yeah, yeah. I I assume that her, like, you know, she's so fatigued physically, mentally strained, emotionally strained. Yeah, I mean, that that might be part of it for sure. I think it's kind of cool, though, because... There's this perception, especially among people that have primarily watched the films, that Hermione is, like, unbeatable and that Mm -hmm. she always, you know, saves the day, basically. Um, And in the film of this book, Hermione's not in this scene. Mm -hmm. It's just Harry alone that runs to the beach, I'm pretty sure. Um, Although I have to watch the film again to to be sure about that. But uh, it's, it's cool that in this scene, the author allows Hermione to fail along with Harry. Right. That everybody kind of fails together. And now I'm just thinking back to the second book. So we kind of, if you do a comparison to the first book, the second book, Hermione is the one who is first incapacitated because she is petrified petrified, and she has been for a while. But then it's sort of, Ron is the Hermione in that way where they go into the chamber together, but then the wall collapses and he can't go forward. Yeah, that's really cool. So then this book is kind of like both of those combined. Yeah. Ron gets incapacitated completely, like in the first book, Chess Game. And then Hermione gets incapacitated completely, like she was in the second book mm-hmm. by the Basilisk. Um, and then it's just Harry. And there's this there's this line where he says he was alone, mm-hmm. you know, fighting a hundred Dementors. Yeah, he completely was completely alone. alone. Um, and then it turns out that he's not alone. There's this weird, um, almost kind of deus ex machina figure that appears on the other side of the lake and summons an incredibly powerful patronus that drives away a hundred dementors um and this is such a an interesting way to end the chapter because as we said everybody's failing constantly and and harry is so tired and exhausted from his effort that he can't even really see who that is across the lake and the Mm -hmm. narration can't describe who it is um so he has some idea in his mind of who this is but he doesn't describe it to the reader. Yeah, so, so we, only we don't find know out who he's talking about. Later. And if you're reading it the first time, you might think maybe Dumbledore, mm-hmm. you know, maybe um, McGonagall or Hagrid or one of the other professors. I would even think maybe Snape, because like maybe, like, oh, Snape somehow got up and is doing this and like Snape saving me, you know. That would be a great redemptive moment for Snape right. too, and it would make sense. Um, well, and we know that Snape uh, later... Much does, later yeah. does send a Patronus. And it's very similar to yeah. the one that, that Harry himself can conjure. So yeah, that would make a lot of sense. It would be very cool. Um, but as we will learn next chapter, what Harry thinks he sees is his own father. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think why he sees that is because they've just been talking about right. James. And, and really in this one brief period of the last couple of chapters, he's learned more about his father than he did in 13 years of and growing up. And if you up. see someone... And from far away that you know we now we know it is himself but we also know that you can't see yourself like in right. in um that you know the way the time works here um you 
would likely think of who looks like me in a vague kind of a smudgy way. And that's what his father is in his mind anyway. So it really right. does work out that that's, you know, if he if he didn't have this, that image, then I wonder what it would be. But And he does know what James looks like because he's seen Right, for sure, for sure. Um, and yeah, it, it's fascinating. I think it's, it's really that like psychological priming. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you said, like, the real explanation is that he sees himself, but obviously your brain would just reject that because that's right. not possible. I mean, he doesn't know about time travel, so he wouldn't yeah. he wouldn't be able to believe that. So then he goes to the next best explanation, which is that's my father. Mm-hmm. Also impossible because you can't bring people back from the dead, mm-hmm. but uh, possibly a little bit more likely than seeing himself. Um, I yeah. just, I really like the, uh, the way that that ends the chapter, you know, mm-hmm. like, Leaving it on a cliffhanger where we don't even know who he might have seen. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's a, very compelling. It makes you really want to read the next chapter. To get and that it's answer. kind of not... I mean, it's it's typical that she'll end on a cliffhanger, but not this vague of a cliffhanger, I feel. Yeah. But it makes sense, because Harry's, like, about to pass out. Right. That he wouldn't be able to, like, articulate it. It almost feels like they're, it's going to say, like, it's a dream or something. And, they, you know, even mm-hmm. though it's not. But it, I, I don't know. It's, it's just a really interesting ending. It reminds me of the end of chapter 16 in the Philosopher's Stone, which is, I love this line. Um, There was someone already in there, but it wasn't Snape. It wasn't even Voldemort. And then the next chapter opens with, it was Quirrell. Right. So she ends the chapter with a really, really good, vague cliffhanger where she's like, it wasn't who you think it was. Right. And then the next chapter opens. Right away, you get the answer. It was for all. That's not the case here, because the next chapter opens with Harry, like, regaining consciousness in the hospital wing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does eventually describe what he thinks happens. Yeah, uh, that's cool. I do I do like that, that chapter in that book. So, briefly, let's just back up to um, early in this chapter when Pettigrew transforms back into rat form and escapes. Um, so... Ron is in danger. So Pettigrew paralyzes Ron. Somehow. Somehow. Yeah, we don't know what spell he casts. He steals Lupin's wand, casts a spell um, so that Ron can't do anything. And then he trans- takes advantage of the moment and leaves. And this is kind of Pettigrew's MO from early on in terms of how the situation with Sirius happened in the first place. Um, another important thing about this moment is that this is Trelawney's prediction that we heard um, a few chapters ago coming true. Mm-hmm. So she predicted that the servant would escape tonight. Yeah. And I think she even said something like he will break free of his shackles or escape his bonds or something like that. And yeah. he's literally doing that in this moment. That's true. That's true. So this is, again, we talked a lot about how Trelawney's predictions come true, but this is it happening. Um, and... Another important thing about this moment is that Sirius realizes that if Peter escapes successfully, that means that he is a fugitive again and he has no way to prove that um, that he was innocent. He was innocent, that he's not what people think he is. So he tries to go after him um, as best he can, but Peter is now a rat and it's the middle of the night and then the Dementors surround him. Yeah. So let's talk about the Dementors, because this is, I think, one of the best descriptions we get in the series of uh, a Dementor up close, um, because Harry very nearly gets kissed by the Dementor, 
So he briefly sees under the hood and and feels its hands on him. Yes, it's a very scary description, a very like horror movie type description of, mm-hmm. you know, something what you imagine. Um, and it's even scarier than Voldemort, you know, scarier than the description of Voldemort that we get even, um, well, I mean, even when he was on Quirrell's head and then even when he returns to life, I think the Dementors are probably the creepiest thing that's ever described. Definitely. I, I'm not sure the movies really did them justice, right. to be honest. But yeah, so they're described as like, they have scabs over their socket eyes that, that don't have eyes in them. And then there's just the shapeless mouth that's always yeah. open that's, like, sucking the life out of everything. Yeah, it's just a giant, basically, gray scab with a mouth is, like, the whole, yeah. what I picture. Completely horrific. And the bones, the hands are just, like, skeletons. They're slimy. Yeah. You know, gross. Yeah, clammy is the word they always use to describe mm-hmm. the Dementors, and I love that mm-hmm. description because it's, like cold and wet a little bit is Mm -hmm. how i think of it yeah it's really gross like very yeah like you said slimy so i um there's a couple different ways to interpret this scene which is that the dementors decide not just to to bring in sirius black which they were ordered to do but to actually um use the kiss on harry who is as far as they know just a random person who is aiding and abetting sirius black but not necessarily a criminal Right. And so let, let's just clarify for a second. So the Dementors surrounding Sirius, is this just like a a magnet being drawn situation of like, this is their target that they've been looking for and now he's out in the open? It's a little bit weird, right? Or did somebody order them to somehow? I can't imagine that they were ordered there specifically. I think it's, I mean, it's 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 a weird coincidence for sure. And, and I'm not sure how it could be explained but somehow they all were searching for Sirius Black that night and they all found him right or I mean I I sort of think it, the reason why I said the magnet thing is because I sort of think of it as like they've been restless and they've been you know out and about and involved more than they should be yeah um, in general but maybe more because they can sense that Sirius is around that their like target is around the somebody that they had in Azkaban um, and whatever their like brain situation is is like this they know that that's their goal in theory um, um, and now he's out in the open I, another thing I'm wondering is like can they just sense like the terror and like the horror um, and intense negative emotions that are happening with everyone in this scene i assume they can Um, yeah so yeah i mean that's definitely part of it and something that we can also talk about is that this is the third time in this book that the dementors have attacked harry who is an innocent Mm. bystander and it's becoming a pattern Mm -hmm. so there's a few possible explanations to that like why are they attacking him why are they targeting him it could be that they're foreshadowing their secret allegiance later on in the series to Voldemort and his followers Mm -hmm. and Harry Potter is Voldemort's greatest enemy so that might be why they're attacking him Um, or I think a more plausible explanation is just that Harry draws them in because he has so many awful memories traumatic experiences in his life and they're so much more powerful than other people's Mm -hmm. so they just get drawn to Harry specifically like it's a you know like it's a, a really delicious looking slice of cake or something 
Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I and I, I don't know if what I'm about to say is actually makes sense. But what I think what I think I maybe thought at the time or early on before the series was done is, you know, we've talked before about how we really thought there was gonna be um more more tied to the fact that Harry has this like Lily's love in him mm-hmm. and like that in sort of a more of a magical protection way. And I I've always a little bit thought that like that kind of antidote or that um like counter energy is you know repels Voldemort so much but also repels anything sort of like the opposite of that which the dementors are and so again i this is not something that's like i don't think necessarily real or like canon in the series but i do think of that the combination of like the trauma and sort of depression he has but also the capacity that he has for love and trying to save Sirius, trying to save everyone, I think is particularly repulsive to them, or at least I like to think of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a really good idea. Or maybe it's attractive to them in a sense. You know what I mean? Right. Attractive in a, I don't know. But they're sort of. You know, they feed the off of emotion. So maybe love, just like fear is attractive to them we don't really have a good understanding of what draws dementors anyway but that's true um yeah it's possible that he's kind of branded in that regard um but i also do want to talk about a couple different interpretations of this scene because as we mentioned the dementors are not supposed to kill innocent people Mm -hmm. um that's that's obviously not their job and they're sort of like prison guards but i think you could also think of them as police officers or some kind of law enforcement because that's kind of what they're doing in this book. They're enforcing the law mm-hmm. by trying to bring Sirius Black to justice. And they're being employed... And they're guarding... And they're guarding the castle, yeah. And mm-hmm. and they're being employed by the government. So, you know, theoretically, they're subject to the rules and regulations of the Ministry of Magic. Um, and so I think we can talk about maybe two different ideas. So one thing that we know is that J.K. Rowling has often said that the Dementors are a metaphor for depression. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean that these kind of metaphorical um, figures of like representing depression are trying to kill Harry in this moment. Well, I think that, you know, just taking this, this chapter as kind of a microcosm of the whole book and what's leading up to what we just talked about where Sirius and Harry are, about to like become this family which is this huge hopeful thing and now in this moment you know in basically two minutes we've now come to a point where Sirius realizes he's lost Pettigrew which is his chance to come out of hiding and be um you know exonerated he's also worried that he's lost his friend Lupin where he who has just run off and he is in a complete like a hopeless kind of place Mm -hmm. and i think harry is trying to have hope but is also thinking like you know everything could be lost and because like we have talked about the stakes being so high i do feel like that hopelessness is a really you know key part of depression and also just a key part of the emotional kind of context of this scene yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit in the Mirror of Erised chapter, but there is like another side to the coin of hope, which is despair. Mm-hmm. And so like when you have these really intense highs with hope, 
it can also, if you're not careful, lead to these really low lows of despair. And I think possibly you're absolutely right that the Dementors trying to kill Harry in this moment is, is kind of a, a physical representation of the emotional experience that he's having right now, where it's like he, for two amazing moments, you know, two minutes maybe, he felt like he was going to have a family and a new life and a new place. And he wasn't going to have any of the hardship that he usually has over the summer. Um, and then it was all taken away from him. And that turned him to this intense despair mm-hmm. as represented by the Dementors. I mean, obviously they, they're a physical entity and they were actually going to kill him, but yeah, as an emotional metaphor, I think that's very powerful. I also think that, you know, if we think about this could kind of go with, with any of these possible um, like metaphors or interpretations, but Harry is clearly defending Sirius and, you know, he's trying to save his life and Hermione's life and everything, but he's, you know, mostly they are to defend Sirius. And I think that there, there's kind of this association with like any association with anything criminal or what they believe is criminal is bad. So it's like, you're helping this guy, then you've got to go too. Um, Right. Which I think also could go along with some of the sort of law enforcement metaphors as well. Like, if you are, like, at all associated with something or suspected of being associated with something that's not technically legal or that you're, like, hanging out with these people that seem bad, then it's, like, you're kind of fair game. It doesn't really matter what happens to you. Yeah, and that's an attitude that's kind of on trial right now in our society because there have been protests as we're talking, there have been protests all across the country for the last several months over the issue of police brutality. And I think this is an apt metaphor for that issue because here we see government law enforcement agents or what essentially are government law enforcement agents that are attempting to execute a, an innocent child essentially for, for defending uh, a person that they, they believe is a criminal. Um, and as we've said before, like Sirius Black is a convicted criminal, but he actually is innocent in mm-hmm. the world, um, as we know the truth. But society thinks of him as a convicted criminal. So, like bringing this back to like our society and what people are talking about in today's society, this would be like kind of on par with the sort of things that people are protesting, where it's like, why are these government law enforcement agents allowed to? hurt, punish, abuse, assault, kill people with impunity. I mean, you know, the, the argument goes like law enforcement are not executioners. They're not the judge or the jury. You know, they don't get to decide punishments. They're there to arrest people and let the legal system sort out what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, what we are actually seeing um, all over the country are people being beaten, um, tear gas, pepper sprayed, um, thrown into vans and taken away, and some people even shot and killed for simply protesting the very act of police abusing their power, Um, which is a very bitter irony. But what I imagine is that in this society, in the Harry Potter society, an apt metaphor would be that there was a contingent of people in Wizarding Britain who heard about the near murder of Harry Potter by the Dementors and decided that they wanted to support that cause, that they were very pro-Dementor. And there were people protesting in the streets saying, we shouldn't have Dementors trying to kill students at Hogwarts. And there were other people saying, 
but Harry was aiding and abetting a criminal, so he deserved to be killed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's and and I I get that that's ridiculous, but I see the real world example of people protesting police brutality and that there are people against that. I see that as equally absurd and just in my view. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that that this can parallel to um to specific things happening right now and just um you know authority and death and kind of execution in general. There's also talk about, you know, what the death penalty and the Dementor's Kiss and all these things. So there's there's a lot that, that comes here. And I think that it's um, it's just a really fascinating and especially to have this moment of um, failure, what we think of as, what mm. we see in this chapter as failure of like, you cannot kind of beat the system. You can't, you cannot defeat 100 Dementors by yourself as a 13-year-old boy. Like, this is this is true. And the only reason why it's not true is because of something that is, you know, basically cheating. This is basically like, yeah. you know, not following rules, which we'll talk extensively about next chapter. Yeah. And I think just to close it out, the, um, the response of the Ministry of Magic to this event is so drastically different than our own government's response to police brutality, where the Minister of Magic next chapter in in the next chapter will say like oh my gosh it was so awful that the dementors almost killed harry potter like can you believe that like we're gonna remove them immediately and never let them anywhere near hogwarts again and dumbledore's like good yeah that's that's appropriate thank you Mm -hmm. i mean can you imagine if our government responded that way right i I wish they would um but i I think it's i'm not sure whether this is something that jk rowling was trying to say with this scene um but i just found it so poignant in in the year that we're in right now with the strife that we're experiencing in our society i just read this chapter as very poignant today thank you all for listening to harry podcast and the dementors kiss we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter if you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today especially the use of dementors as a possible metaphor for police brutality please email us at contact at the You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we turn the clock to Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.